Bibles up with me and declare that this is God's word, not Pastor Omar's word. I am what it says I am. I can do what it says I can do. I can be what it says I can be. And I will have what it says I can have. Today, I will hear the word of God. I boldly declare that my mind is alert. My heart is receptive. My ears are opened. And I better not go to sleep. I will never be the same. In Jesus' name. Amen. Remain standing as I read for you. Verse 6 says, And now, Jesus, just as you accepted Christ Jesus as your Lord, you must continue to follow him. Let your roots grow down into him and let your lives be built on him. Then your faith will grow strong in the truth you were taught and you will overflow with thanksgiving. Don't let anyone capture you with empty philosophies and high-sounding nonsense that come from human thinking and from the spiritual powers of this world rather than from Christ. For in Christ lives all the fullness of God in a human body. You also are complete through your union with Christ who is the head over every ruler and authority. When you came to Christ, you were circumcised. But not by a physical procedure. Christ performed a spiritual circumcision. The cutting away of your sinful nature. For you were buried with Christ when you were baptized. And with him you were raised to new life. Because you trusted the mighty power of God. Who raised Christ from the dead. You were dead because of your sins. Because your sinful nature was not yet cut away. Then God made you alive with Christ, for he forgave all our sins. He canceled the record of the charges against us and took it away by nailing it to the cross. In this way, he disarmed the spiritual rulers and authorities. He shamed them publicly by his victory over them on the cross. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. Thine word is truth. You are the way, the truth, and the life. We have come this morning, Lord God, broken and contrite, so that you would speak to us and we would listen. And we be obedient to the word of the living God. We ask you by the Holy Spirit to open our eyes this morning to see your truth. Open our ears to hear your voice. Open our minds to understand your word and our hearts to receive everything you have in store for us. We need divine transformation from the inside out this morning. Spirit of the living God. So fall afresh on us. Pour grace. Pour mercy. Pour power on us by the Holy Spirit, Lord God. That we will operate in the gifts of the Spirit. We decree so that you would increase this morning. May your will be done. And may your kingdom come today. In Jesus' name. Amen and amen. Thank you so much. You may be seated. I'm going to give you a quick recap so you can kind of get a picture of where we are coming from last week. So we started out by saying that the devil wants us to be satisfied and content with mediocrity. Mediocrity. Oh Lord. He doesn't want us to dream radical dreams 
The devil doesn't want us to think revolutionary thoughts. He doesn't want us to think of impossibilities becoming possibilities. Really what he wants us to do is to pursue prosperity. He wants us to pursue comfort. He wants us to pursue security. He wants us to pursue these things at the expense of having our thoughts towards Christ and having Christ being glorified in our lives. And so Matthew 6, 33 kind of shift us away from the devil's emphasis to Christ's emphasis, which is seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things will be added. But the devil every day says, run after these things, pursue prosperity, pursue security, pursue comfort, even if it means putting Christ on the back burner. So for many of us, what happens in our lives, the truth is we try to get stuff first and then add Christ on later. Christ says, no, that's not how it works in the kingdom of God. In the kingdom of God, see Christ first and things get added. The devil, listen, in, in the Garden of Eden, if you go back, things have always been the same. In the Garden of Eden, God said to man, seek me, when he made Adam. And Adam and God walked in the cool of the day. The moment things got into play, Adam and Eve sought things and put God on the back burner and men fell into sin. Jesus come and says, listen, let me reverse all of that to God's original intent. God's original intent has always been for man to seek God and things get added to man's life. If you really want to live a victorious life, seek God first. So what's the devil's tactics? What does he use to get our eyes of the radical, the revolutionary, and the seemingly impossible. The one thing the devil used, it's failure. Our own personal failure and the guilt that follows them. He gets us to fail, and then when he gets us to fail, the guilt that comes with the failure, he uses that guilt against us. So Satan uses the guilt from our own personal failure. And he uses it to condemn us. Have you ever feel condemned like you're not worthy? You're not worth it. He uses them to make us feel like we're unworthy of the calling of God on our lives. Who are you? You can't be a pastor. You can't serve in church. Look at all you've done. Your heart is so this. Your heart is so that. He, he uses these things to bring condemnation. That is why Paul says in Romans that now therefore there is no what? Condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Alright? The devil also uses them to tear us down. He uses the guilt from our failure to weigh us down, to weigh on our hearts. We eventually, it gets so heavy that we eventually give up. We throw in the towel. You know, we have a very lukewarm attitude towards faith, towards ministry, towards fellowship, towards God. And this is why some Christians feel they have nothing to offer others. So they don't serve. Because their guilt is just eating them apart and eating them away. It is the reason why they don't serve. The reason why they don't take risks and step out in faith. It is the reason why some don't get baptized because the devil tells them, What are you about to baptize for? You think you're a Christian? You're not no Christian. You only have one like you're a Christian. You may be a Christian, but not definitely not a Christian. Don't even get baptized. 
tells them not to go on mission trips, not to become missionaries, not to lead anyone to the faith. All of these things caused by our guilt. But the tragedy is not that we have sinned. The tragedy is not that we have failed. Because all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. The tragedy is that Satan has taken our failures, our failures in our relationships, our failures in our spiritual discipline, and our failures in the area of sexual integrity, and is using them against us. The enemy comes and he says, you are a loser. You may as well not go to church. No way you are going to make any serious commitment of your life to Jesus. You might as well just sit there, drink the world in until you're wasted, and settle for the mediocre life you deserve. Who do you think you are? Don't go into people in church with a hypocrite self. That's how the devil comes in, whispers in our ears. Yeah. And many people today, they come to church and they're afraid to lift their hands. Because guilt is eating them away. They're afraid to serve in ministry. Because guilt is eating them away. They're afraid to pray because, you know, the enemy keeps saying, what you pray for? What you, stop it. All of these things, right? But this is a tragedy that doesn't have to happen. It doesn't have to happen. So last week we said, how do we avoid this? And the first thing we said last week is that, we need to dig our roots deep in Jesus. Remember that we said your roots need to be deep in Jesus. That means when there is no water on the outside, you have the reservoir of the Holy Spirit that you're leaning into. We said last week also that we need to reject the world's access to our walk. And we need to reject the devil's access to our walk. Those are the three things we looked at last week about continuing in the Lord. So, so this week I'm going to give you two more to help us avoid that tragedy. To get to a place where guilt doesn't destroy your life of faith. So number one, you avoid the tragedy by knowing your identity. Knowing your identity. You have to know who you are and know whose you are. You see, last week we had this, this little dramatize uh, uh, story of uh, the pilgrim's progress. And we were introduced to two characters, Christian and Apollyon the demon. And Apollyon came up against Christians with many lies. One of the reasons why Christian was able to stand up to Apollyon's lies was because he knew who his king was. You have to know who your king is. Who is your king? Because that's what gives you your true identity. That's what helps you to stand strong. I, I'm going to get into this later. I don't want to get ahead of myself. Do you know if you know your name, that's not enough? Knowing your current name is not enough. You know what's important? Is knowing where you get your name from. In other words, it's knowing your father. Because if you know your name and don't know your father, you still have a problem. Because, you, you understand me? If the father is out of the picture, there is a problem even if you have the name. So the name has little value if you don't know 
where the name is from and who the name comes from. You have to know. So knowing your identity is not just knowing the name. It's knowing who is the father of this name. Alright, well, Pastor, that one's overhead. Alright, we're going to get there. If your name was Melissa Trump this morning, who would you think your father is? If your name is Melissa Brown, who is your father? Which, you, you see the problem now? You'd have to know which Mr. Brown, don't it? You know, you know, you know which Trump, you, all, all of you had a Trump in your mind, you know. No matter how many Trumps are out there, there is one Trump you all had in your mind. You all said, Donald, I never asked you the first name. You all said Donald Trump. None of you, none of you said, but I didn't hear anybody say Neville Brown or Jason Brown. They just said Mr. Brown. I'll go show it in scripture, right? So we can understand it. Verse 9 says, For in Christ all the fullness of the Godhead lives in bodily form. Everything that is God was in Christ. God, Jesus Christ, 100% man, 100% God. Alright? Amen? Amen. You have to get that right. He took on humanity and put aside his divinity. 100% God, 100% man. Watch it. So it says, and you have been given fullness in Christ. As a child of God, we have this fullness in us because Christ in us is the hope of glory. It says, who is the head over every power and authority. Verse 11. In him you were also circumcised in putting off the sinful nature, not with a circumcision done by the hands of men, but with a circumcision done by Christ. Having been buried with him in what? Baptism and raised with him through faith in the power of God who raised him from the dead. So when you came to faith, you might not have understood it or know it, but you became a child of God. Amen. Come on, put your hand up and say, I am a child of God. That's telling you your name and telling you the name of your father. In other words, it's not just telling you your surname, if you want to use that. It's also telling you where your surname is from. In other words, I am a child of God. That's who I am as a born again believer. But it's also saying that if I'm a child of God, I'm joint ears with Jesus. Right? Amen? And I am God's child. That's the identity you need to know. So when they ask you who I am, I am a child of God. I am God's child. God is my father. Wow. So even if you have not been physically baptized, you were spiritually baptized. So let me pause and explain this. Remember in the Old Testament, who were circumcised? 
the Jews or the children of Israel, at a certain point they had to get circumcised, not to become Jews. But because they were Jews. Come on, no, you have to you have to you have to say yes or no. So I know you, if you do, listen. When they were circumcised, they weren't circumcised so that they become children of Israel. But children of Israel had to be circumcised. Alright. So in the same way is baptism. You don't get baptized to become a child of God. Because you're a child of God, you get baptized. Just as how circumcision publicly declared that these are Jews, baptism publicly declares that you are a child of God. Amen? We're going somewhere, right? That is why baptism is your identification card. Just like how circumcision was the identification mark, baptism is declaring who your father is. Publicly. That, that, that makes sense? So back in those days, anyone who was circumcised was called a Jew. In today's days, anyone who is water baptized is a child of God. Let's say water baptized, you know, because going to getting dipped is not necessarily baptism, you know. Because many people go into the water and don't get baptized. Them get beard. And bathing is different from baptizing. Because if you're unsafe and going to water, you don't get saved. Come on now. If, if when you enter the water, you're unsafe. When you come out of the water, you're unsafe. Because the water is not the salvation. Come on now. So many people believe, when I got baptized, you got saved. No, you didn't get saved. You get wet up. When did you get saved? When you believe in your heart that Jesus Christ is Lord and confessed with your mouth that God raised him from the dead. For with the heart one believes and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. That's the moment you get saved. So baptism is simply identification. So it's not knowing about who we are we have been educated in that already. We, we are depraved. We are evil. We are black-hearted, sinner, wicked people. I know what I mean. When you see those little babies, the little baby that you bring up. Listen, wicked. See these little teenagers in here? Before Jesus Christ, all of us, wicked, black-hearted sinners. All of us. All babies are, are wicked little sinners. Who need Jesus? I know you can't, I know you don't want to say that, but in the spiritual kingdom, we are all born in sin. So they are cute little sinners. 
until you come into salvation. And, and I think that is something that we oftentimes we think like people are born good and get bad. We are all born bad and need to be made good by God's grace. I'm going to get to that, right? So, so the war with our flesh tells us that we are prone to go after the things of the world. That's what, that's who we are. And we are not going to win any battle this way. It's not about knowing who we are. It's about knowing, it's about the king, knowing the king and understanding our relationship with the king. Let me break it down. So you have to know the king and understand your relationship with the king. If my father were Jimmy, Jimmy Buffett, that's, that's one of the billionaires around here now, Bill Gates, Bessos, uh, the, the, the Google man, Amazon man, yeah. Jeff Bezos. Jeff Bezos. If my father was Jeff Bezos, and I never met him, and never have a relationship with him, you know that I can be poor all my life, though he's a billionaire. So, even if I know that he was my biological father, Without a relationship with him, there's no benefit. So it means, it's not just knowing who your father is that is important. It's having a relationship with the father. That makes sense? Because there are many people who know who their fathers are, but they don't have no relationship with them. So they don't benefit from their father relationally. So the king says this. The king says, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. The, the king says this. All things have been handed over to me by my father. And this has been said about the king. This is the king of all kings. He says, God highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name which is above every name. So that at the name of Jesus, every knee will bow. Of those who are in heaven and on earth and under the earth. And every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. That's the king. So now hear what the king says about those who believe in him. So if Jesus is my king and all authority has been given to him, he is highly exalted, he has been given a name that is above every other name, that every knee will bow, all of these things about my king, about my father. And then my king says to me, my sheep listens to my voice. I know them and they follow me. I give them eternal life. And they will never perish. No one can snatch them away from me. For my father has given them to me. And he is more powerful than anyone else. When you understand that. Listen. When you belong to the king. The king says. If you are my sheep. You listen to my voice. If you are my sheep. I know you. I have a relationship with you. If you are my sheep. You follow me. 
If you're really my child, you follow me. If you're really my child, you have eternal life. If you are really my child, you will never perish. No matter what is happening, it won't happen. If you are his child, I love this part. This is good. No one can snatch them from my hand. When I tell people that if you belong to God, you cannot unbelong to him. I know that that's not a word, but you understand what I mean, right? Don't, don't go and tell people the pastor talking. All right? He says, no one can snatch them from my hand. You know what I love about the prodigal son? The prodigal son left the father. Remember, it's not a real story. It's a parable. It never really happened. Jesus was talking about sonship and fathership. Jesus said, here's how the son and the father relationship work. When you leave the house and you do all that you want to do, you waste your life, you waste your money, you womanize, you romanize, you drunkenize, and you make an eyes. So when all that is done, and you come back home, the father ran out and says, this is my, what did he call him? This is my beloved no man, say it loud, no man. This is my beloved. In other words, the sonship didn't change. Though the son was away. Because Jesus says, no one can snatch my children from my hand. I hope somebody gets that, right? This is how you're going to win the battle church. By understanding who you are in Christ. Not who you were as the old person. Uh, I need to break this down quickly for you because time is going. We have this way of going back to our old self. Like, well, I'm a sinner. I'm a sinner. The Bible says we are a new creature. All things are passed away. I'm born again. Listen, I am my born again life, not my old life. That life died. I've been raised up with him to newness of life. In Christ, I am brand new. I speak about the newness of life, the new person. It's a new me. I, I didn't get fixed. I've been made new. I didn't get repair. I was restored. I want you to understand there's a difference, you know. You see, when, when you restore something, you bring it back to its original state. When you repair it, you can't do that. Where, where, is, that, where is that pastor? Romans 5 verse 17. For if by the trespass of one man, this man, of course, is Adam. So we could read it. For if through the sin of Adam, death reigned through that one man who is Adam, how much more will those who receive God's abundant provision of grace and of the gift of righteousness reign in life through the one man, Jesus Christ? Alright, so Adam sinned and because of Adam one sin, every man born after that sin. Powerful, powerful, powerful sin. Jesus is way more powerful than Adam. He's the only begotten of God the Father. Jesus said, if Adam could cause that to happen, 
And he is not in the same class as Jesus. Imagine when you come to newness of life. What happens to you? Everything that Adam did gets undone when you come to Christ. And you're made to the state that Adam was before Adam sinned. And not only that, Adam never had the Holy Spirit working in him. Now you have the Holy Spirit working in you. That's how we live the victorious life. So, stop going back to your Adam life and speak about your Christ life. You see, we like to go back to the Adam life and talk about, well, I some mistake because my born for sin and we have sinful nature. No, no. You have Christ's nature now because we are not in Adam anymore. Come on, come on. You, listen, come on. Just put your hand and say, I am not in Adam anymore. I am in Christ. You see, Adam had sinned, Christ sinned not. But because we want to make excuses for our sins, we use the Adam life. Instead of using the Christ life and speak of the victory we have, because sin shall no longer have dominion over us. So as sons and daughters of Adam, we inherited Adam's sin. That was our inheritance was now we have been adopted into God's family so we have new inheritance our inheritance is eternal life meaning we are not citizens of this world we are citizens of another kingdom and another king I'm in this world but I'm not of this world my citizenship has changed. I have been transformed. I have been moved from the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of God's light. We are no longer subjects of the ruler of this world and his evil, pla evil plans. We are subject of the king of kings and the Lord of of lords and his name is Jesus the Christ the Messiah the anointed one so when you woke up this morning I hope you didn't say I am an, a Jamaican citizen I hope when you wake up woke up this morning you said I am a citizen I am a citizen of the kingdom of God you see there's limitation to your Jamaican citizenship you know you can't travel anywhere you know really you know and it comes with a label I'm a citizen of the kingdom of God. So to win this battle, you have to know your identity and what that identity entitles you to. That is why if your father is Bill Gates, you have to know that and have the relationship with him so you can know what you're entitled to. That's how we're going to live the victorious life. That's why all that Jesus did is all that I need to live this victorious life. So in Romans 5, 5 it speaks about God's abundance provision of grace. It means that there is sanctification and righteousness 
and justification. You have been sanctified. What does that entitles me to? It entitles me to sanctification. That I've been set apart by God. It entitles me to righteousness. I've been made right with God. I mean right standing with God the Father. Because of Jesus. I've been justified. I am just as if I have never sinned. And so this brings me to point five. Where we're going to close. Our second point, but point five from last week. So we avoid a tragedy by knowing our identity. Finally, we avoid a tragedy by believing in grace. Come on, tell the person beside you, believe in grace. Say grace alone. Listen, if, if, whenever the church gets this, church will be changed. Believe in grace. Grace alone. Grace alone can save. Grace alone can restore. Grace alone can keep. Too often we try to mix works with grace. It's grace alone. Let me say it again. Salvation is grace alone. No works. Grace alone. I'm kept by the grace of God. Not by my works in the flesh. I'm kept by grace. My Christian faith is preserved by the grace of God. Do you believe it? Do you accept that? Do you accept that it is grace alone? Verse, verse 13 and 14 says, When you were dead in your sin, and in the uncircumcision of your sinful nature, God made you alive with Christ. I have to stop right here. So when you get to the scripture, when you read it, if you really understand grace, you clap your hands and say hallelujah. Anytime you read your Bible and you reach right here, you clap your hands and say hallelujah. I'm going to tell you why. The scripture says when you were dead. Listen, you ever hear that dead man tells no tale? Don't it? And dead man don't move. If you see a dead man moving, you move. Listen. So it says, if you're dead in sin, it means that you can't do a thing. The scripture said, when you were dead in your sins and in, your, in the uncircumcision of your sinful nature. Watch this. Not works, not church, not denomination, not Bible reading, not praying. It says, who made you alive? Wait, wait, wait. You have to put up the scripture for me. This is, this is Colossians 2 verse 13. Put it up for me. I, because I needed a seed for yourself so you can understand what's going on. It says, Then who made you alive? Then God made you alive. In other words, you were dead. So salvation is not of works. That's what the scripture really means. Because you're dead. We can't do anything. It is God who made us alive right listen to this part it says he forgave all our sins meaning the moment you get saved did you know that your past sins your present sins and your future sins are forgiven he's a pastor how can my future sins be forgiven because his blood was shed once and for all for all sins all the ones when i committed yet the blood has been shed for 
Because Jesus is not waiting until next year come to send some more blood on earth. The blood has already been shed and everything has been done already. He says, forgive all our sins. Having canceled the written code with its regulation that was against us, that stood opposed to us, he took it away, nailing it to the cross. So there was a time when you couldn't get saved. You had to be held in the Old Testament. You had to be held until Jesus came on Calvary's cross and said, listen, all of those guys who accepted in faith, grace was poured out in the New Testament. Come on now. That's why Hebrews teaches you that there's a greater sacrifice. Jesus. You know why? Because all of those things in the Old Testament, you know, they didn't experience what we experience, you know. They believed in it looking forward. We believe in it looking backwards. They look to the cross. We look back to the cross. That's salvation. So are you living your life knowing you are free, free of guilt? Are, are you in here this morning being bogged down? Being made ashamed? You have your head down? Your hands down? Your heart is down. Your emotions are down. Your mind is down. Your spirit is down. Because there is some guilt. The devil has told you that you should be better off than this in life. The devil has told you that, listen, you should not have made this decision. Stupid you. Look where you're at right now. Don't you see how you're suffering? You think God really loves you? If God loved you, your life would be better off. If God really loved you, he would help you to make better decisions. God couldn't love you. Are you living a life that has been declared innocent? I tell people like I'm innocent. There are many people who think like I'm not right. And I'm glad that they are thinking that. And, and, and if that's your thinking about me, that's alright. Just keep it yes. As long as you don't tell me, I'm good. You can keep thinking it. If you want to waste your time. Thinking about my innocence and my guilt, your business. Because here's what I'm doing. I'm focusing all my sins at the foot of the cross. While you are worrying about me, I'm praying to Jesus. So you keep on worrying. While you worry and think about me, I'm fixing my eyes on Jesus. My advice to you is take your eyes off me and put your eyes on Jesus. I, it don't matter what people think. I am innocent. Why? Because of grace. Not innocent because I'm perfect. I'm innocent because I've surrendered to the perfect king. And his name is Jesus. Amen? Or have you accepted Christ as savior, but still believe that the verdict is guilty? So this is one of the enemy's prime weapon. If he can minimize the effects of the cross on your life, then he got you in the box. If the devil can get you to think like the cross has lost its power, the blood is not enough, then... He has won. If the devil can get you to believe that the cross is not sufficient, then he has won. So when it comes to our justification, Jesus' blood is central. It is the sacrifice of the blameless lamb which, which justifies our guilty lives. Hallelujah. Listen, justification is just as if I have never sinned. You know, in Isaiah, it speaks about but though your, your sins are like scarlet and though they are like crimson red, you'll make them white as wool and white as snow. Alright? 
Let me break this down for you. The thing with the blood of Jesus, it not only removes sins. It, when it removes sins, it makes the person new. Wait, always remember that. The purpose of the blood is not just for the removal of sin. It's also, when it removes sin, it makes the person brand new. Alright, the difference with blood, the blood of Jesus and bleach, is that bleach can remove spots, but it can't make the thing new. Right? The difference with the blood of Jesus is that when the blood of Jesus is applied, it removes sin, but whatever is applied to becomes brand new. That's why it is the only thing that can do that. Other things can remove stuff, but it can't make them new. It's like this. This don't happen in Jamaica when you shop. But when you shop like in the States, you go in there and you buy like a shoe. Um, if you're like some people, you wear it one time and say you don't like it. Somebody's laughing. They know what I'm talking about. I didn't even finish the story, right? <laughs> but you just, you just bring it back to the store and say you don't like it. And here's what they do. They don't take it and repair it and give you back. They give you a brand new one. In fact, y'all can change it. You can, you can add more money to it and get something else and stuff like that, right? What Jesus does is this. When he cleanses this, he removes every spot, every wrinkle. But this is no longer, it is not second hand. Let me say it to you again. It's not second hand. Everything else that is repaired by man is second hand. Are refurbished. Jesus says, this is brand new. It's like it has never been touched before. That's justification. Justification is not to make the old better. It's to remove the old and make the old new. A brand new thing. That's, 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 that's the power of grace and the power of the blood. So without the blood, there is no justification. And the enemy knows this. You see, he may be the full embodiment of evil, but the devil ain't dumb. He knows this. And so he tries to get us to minimize the effects of the cross. He gets us to minimize the effect of grace. And the longer you minimize the effect of grace, the greater the guilt is going to be that you're walking in. If you want to stop living in guilt, then you have to start living in grace. Because grace diminishes the power of guilt. You see, the devil, want, the devil wants us to get, wants us to, to, to think less of the power of the cross. He wants to make you think the cross is a meaningless symbol. Something that is not relevant to our day and our age. He wants you to think like the cross is an old testament theology and you don't have to rely on the cross or depend on the cross you can do all you need to do you need to read your bible pray every day a prior day keep the devil away listen none of that has no power without the has power without the cross and without the blood of jesus church means nothing if the cross is not understood nothing so, get rooted in Christ. 
That's how we started. Avoid the, the tragedy by getting rooted in Christ. Reject the world. Reject the world. Reject the devil. Then you know your identity in Christ. And begin to believe in grace. God's riches at Christ's expense. It's time to stop working in the flesh. And start believing in grace. John Piper states that. The distinguishing mark of saving faith is not perfection. The mark of faith is not that I never sin. The mark of faith is that I fight. I fight anything that dims my sight of Jesus as my glorious Savior. I fight anything that diminishes the fullness of the Lordship of Jesus in my life. I fight anything that threatens to replace Jesus as the supreme treasure of my life. Anything that stands between me and receiving Jesus is what faith fights. Not with fists or knives or guns or bombs, but with the truth of Christ. I fight. So all of what Christ did is all that I need. And Satan doesn't want you to believe that. See, as we close this morning, let me tell you a little bit about me. See, I know how some of you are feeling today. Maybe you're watching online, maybe you're in here. Because I once believed the devil's lie. You see, I remember going through a season in my life when I felt as though I wasn't even a Christian. Because of all my failures to live a holy life. And then people, even people who attended church would say that. They never liked the church that I went to. And they say, you're not Christian. Because Christian, Christian are wearing them the pants there. Christian are them here, them wear there. Christian, listen, I remember somebody told me that Christian are wear shorts. And I'm a male. So what kind of Christian you be? And I said, what do you mean? You say, if I see shorts in the Bible yet? I'm telling you. I'm serious. And I mean, I'm going through like all of these things. I went through it like, you know, that my words of belief and what I thought I had known to be true in my heart were empty words because I continued to sin. Continued to fail. I continued to fail short. And in my failure came back the resounding words. You're a bad Christian. You're a Christian. You're a hypocrite. No waste of time go for the people them church. Don't bother go up to go testify. If you ever go up there, see one of them there, God going to strike you down. You hear? I mean, if you're in the church and you hear rain falling, you say, Lord Jesus, I must me now. And my time. I'm telling you, it was, I mean, I went through the season. I felt like, oh my God. I don't want to, I don't want to go to church. You, you, you take out the Bible and you feel like. First thing you all turn to, you know, you know, you, you know when you're young. You just open your Bible and just... You know, you know it go, you know, Molly, anytime it, anytime it drops in the Old Testament, I can't Jesus at all. Understand? Where should I read today, Jesus? Old Testament. All right, wrong part. <laughs> oh, New Testament. Yes, right here, Jesus. Until you see something that says, and they crucified him, you say, all right, <laughs> well, on Jesus, let me find something else. So, so my whole life was going through that. Why do you continue to call yourself a Christ follower? 
yet you live a life of a hypocrite. All of this going on in my mind. And then you had the expectations of people. Because there were people who thought that you were this holy and righteous believer. And you said to yourself, if I ever tell them how I feel, it's a problem. Because now they're going to be ashamed of me. And you can imagine the next thing them just tell me, so they don't want to be my friend, friend anymore. My friend them will call me hypocrite. And you don't want to tell the church people where you go through because they're going to start calling you hypocrite. And then you're going to want to be by yourself. See, going through that. But then I realized... Yes, I sinned. Yes, I failed. I thought that I wasn't a Christian because I wasn't bearing fruit. But then God gave me the grace to realize that the fruit was born, that was born, was actually in the fight. So all this time, I was missing what was happening. I was missing the fact that there was conviction in my heart about my sin. I was missing the fact that the voice of God was still saying you need to be in church. See, I want you to understand the fact that you still want to pray, it means that you're still fighting. The fact that you're feeling like you need to talk to Jesus and talk to somebody, you're still fighting. So my word to you this morning is that even in the guilt, keep fighting. Come on, tell the person beside you. Say, keep fighting. There are times when you're not going to feel like lifting your hands. But just keep lifting. Listen, there are times when the shame is going to make you feel like you, you ought not to sing. But keep singing. There are times when you're going to read and because of what is going on and what you're doing, you're not going to understand anything, but keep reading. There are times when you're praying and you feel like, oh my God, these prayers are not having any effect and you know things are not right in your life. Keep praying. The grace is in the fighting. The fact that you're still in the fight means that grace is working in your life. So keep fighting. Amen? The mere fact that I was fighting the sin and failures was evidence of the Spirit work within me. Because here's the truth. The fact that I wanted to stop means that the Holy Spirit was working in me. Because, listen, oh, the devil ain't going to tell me to stop. So the fact that something was saying, me, saying to me, you need to stop. You need to do better. Listen, even in all of that, God was still working. Because one thing I know is the devil not going to tell you to stop sinning. So as long as you're feeling a conviction to stop, keep on fighting. Keep on holding on. Because hope is on its way. And so if the spirit is at work in me then that meant I was a sealed believer and follower of Jesus Christ. Church, the fact that the Holy Spirit is still prompting you is saying that you are a child of God. That is why the scripture said of the prodigal son, what did it say about him? He was sitting in, a, in the most unpleasant place, a pigsty. And in there, you know what the scripture said? Right in the pig pen, he came to his senses. He said, he came to his and said, I would be better off in my father's house. And he got up. Listen, even if you're in the pig pen and you have desire for the father's house, it means that you're sealed with the Holy Spirit. 
Right now you may be in the pig pen. But the fact that you have desire for the house of the Lord, it means, oh my God, hallelujah, Jesus, the Father, the Holy Spirit is working in me because I know the devil is not going to tell me to go to church. Come on, somebody clap your hands for Jesus. I know, I, know, I, know you, I know you have been there. You have been at that place when you felt like the guilt and the shame. But you know that. I need to call somebody from church. I need to ask somebody to pray for me. I need to read some Bible. Listen, I'm going to try to force my way into church. I, I may come in and my head is held down. But guess what? I'm in the house of the Lord. I, 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 know, I, I know some people may know what and they're thinking all kind of things about me. But I'm going to show up because the Spirit of God is still working in me so i'm going to invite the worship team to come up last week we ended with this song but i want to put up the the message translation of colossians chapter 2 or the message i call it paraphrase because it's not really a translation but the message paraphrase of colossians chapter 2 from verse 14 to 15 we're going to close on that and you know this morning we're going we're going to release all the guilt and live in the grace of Jesus. We're going to live the victorious life. Because we're going to live in the grace of Jesus. We're going, we're going to believe in the power of the cross. And the power of the blood. Because we believe that now therefore there is no condemnation. For those who are in Christ Jesus. Colossians chapter 2 verse 14 and 15. It says this right. It says think. Think of it. In other words think. Begin to think. Think of it. Think of it. It says. All sins forgiven. Come on, lift your hands this morning and say that. All sins forgiven. Come on, just, just come on, just stand to your feet and just lift your hands and say, Thank you, Jesus. All sins forgiven. Come on, just thank him, say, Jesus. All my sins forgiven. second part it says the slate wiped clean said jesus thank you the slate has been wiped clean hallelujah i love i love that because church here's what to talk about the slate has been wiped clean just keep your hands lifted just begin to let jesus minister to you you see in school we have these whiteboards um in schools now and they have the whiteboard markers and you have to use different kind of liquids to get the stuff off and even with the best effort there are still marks left on it. But when the blood comes, it leaves us without spot and without blemish. Come on, just say, ah, oh, the slate wiped clean. Then it says, that old arrest warrant canceled and nailed to the cross. It means it had you in custody. There was no escape. And Jesus came and said, Devil, give me that warrant you have over my son and my daughter. And he took it and he says, It has no more effect. It has no more power. I'm going to nail it to the cross. When he did that, he says, And this is what I'm going to do to you, devil. He said, He stripped all the, tyr the spiritual tyrants in the universe of their sham authority. Meaning, listen, what the devil was doing, he wasn't doing with authentic authority. It was some fake out stuff. He says, at the cross and marched them naked through the streets. 
So the guilt has caused you shame and embarrassment. The failure has caused you shame and embarrassment. You're afraid to walk the street. Jesus says, listen, you swing a nail this thing to the cross, here's what's going to happen. That was meant to shame you. going to shame your enemy. Come on. That, that thing that he thought, I don't know what it is. Maybe it's sexual. Maybe it's financial. Maybe it's emotional. Maybe it's mental. It was supposed to bring you shame. Jesus Christ says, in me, when I nail the warrant to the cross, it is your enemy who will be made ashamed. Not you. Hallelujah. Come on, lift your hands. Begin to thank God for his grace. There's a simple prayer this morning. Simple prayer, the Lord. I release the guilt and I receive your grace. Come on, just say, Lord, I release the guilt and I receive your grace. You believe that this morning church Christ triumph over all and because of the cross we have no reason to believe Satan's lie so fight the good fight win the race Paul's word to Timothy are still true today you can do it the cross beckons us onward hallelujah we thank you Lord God your word says the righteous man falls seven times, but you pick him up again. For now there's now therefore there's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. We let go of the guilt, the shame. God will receive your grace. Flood our lives with your grace, Lord God. Come to sense, Lord, your blood is able. And there's victory in the cross. Come on, just say, your blood is able. And there's victory in the cross. Come on, one more time, say, your blood is able. And there's victory in the cross. I don't know what your sin is. I don't know what your pain is. But I've been there. I felt like it doesn't make any sense. But then grace stepped in. And grace says, it makes sense. For if God is for you then who can be against you then, then his word says and no one will be able to snatch you from my hand come on just thank you for that just a lot of thank you that your promise is true no one and nothing can snatch me out of your hand hallelujah Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Come on, someone just lift your voice and just begin to thank God this morning and worship Him for His grace. Hallelujah.